Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. Keep on this for you. From about 1940 to 1980, I will tell you that, and the word I use is ubiquitous. Asbestos was used in virtually all building materials other than wood, glass, and metal. Um, everything else, all bets are off. So we find it very com <laughs> commonly in sprayed on textures on walls and ceilings, troweled on textures. Uh, you talked about nine by nine tiles. I'm gonna say 80 to 90% of the ones that we test in the nine by nine inch range uh, test positive for asbestos, uh, as does the mastic usually that's holding those down. We have uh, maybe 40% of the 12 by 12 tiles. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, where we talk home improvement every single weekend. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Caroline. Hello, How are you? Hello. I actually feel like the third wheel today. I feel like I shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should be out. <laughs> we have a very special guest, Handyman Bob in the studio. Welcome back. To your around the house, handyman Bob. Hey, it's great to be back with you. And Caroline, you're never a third wheel. <laughs> Thank you. So before we start talking about asbestos and everything environmental inside your home that can be bad for you, we got to get everybody up to speed on handyman Bob's history here with around the house. He was the host and co-host of this show for nearly a decade and was my former co-host, and uh, there was a day that he wanted his weekends back, and he handed me the torch, and we have run with it up to here. But we have uh, Handyman Bob and his suspenders right back on the show again. Well, I'll tell you what, that wasn't a torch I passed off. It was a microphone, but you've been flaming it ever since. <laughs> uh, there were days I was wondering if it was a hand grenade, but you know how it goes. This is radio and podcasting. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming back on, brother. This is great. I wouldn't have missed it. I appreciate the invite. Always welcome on here. Well, you and I were talking about it, and this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, and Caroline and I love talking about it, but, you know, we still are seeing, and I'm seeing this on social media on all the home improvement groups out there, the misunderstanding of asbestos and how to deal with it in your home, and you have started a viro test years ago, testing environmental stuff inside the house and building materials uh, in the Portland area. And I uh, wanted to dive into that with you so we could chat with you about it today. Okay, great. Let's go. So you contractors, homeowners call you up, for instance, and say, okay, I'm starting a remodel project. Mm -hmm. And I know as far as Oregon code and Washington code that 
you're you're you have to be part of that process to follow the rules, correct? That's correct. And in fact, the rules dictate that prior to beginning any renovation or demolition project, a contractor is required to test all the materials that will be disturbed to see if there is the presence of asbestos. Does not fall true on homeowners. Um, the inside your uh, home, Caroline, uh, you're the queen of your castle. Mm-hmm. You can do almost anything you want to do, but if you're a contractor, uh, the onus is upon you to hire somebody. And it it was in uh, January of 2016 that the state of Oregon, I say, re-enforced the asbestos rules. You remember this time well, Eric, we were getting calls Mm -hmm. the end of 2015 from our contractor contacts, uh, our listeners, And they were saying, what is going on down at the transfer station? They're telling us we're going to have to have some kind of an asbestos test. Well, Eric, this was when I became, I think, the luckiest guy on earth. And luck is defined as the intersection of preparation and opportunity. I was prepared. (laughs) The opportunity presented itself. Uh, January 1, 2016 is when the rules were reinforced. By the um, 13th day of January, I had my federal inspector's license. And by the first day of February, I was taking my first samples. There you go. There you go. So what are you seeing out there, Bob? And I know Caroline's probably got a bunch of questions on this stuff, too, even though she's an expert in this as well. But, you know, it's funny. There's so many misconceptions about asbestos. You know, I see... So many people go, oh, before 1980 is what that rule is on asbestos. And there's just this common thing where people almost confuse lead and asbestos together on when those materials were used in building materials. It's easy to conflate them because 1987 uh, or excuse me, 1978 is the cutoff date when lead based paint um, it was made illegal to use in residential structures. Uh, and people do conflate asbestos and lead-based paint at that point. So you're right. Another thing that happened was that uh, it was 1986 that the EPA uh, w- was granted full authority to regulate asbestos. So people hear 86 and they say, oh, well, asbestos was made illegal and and so on. So there are a lot of confusing dates, but the bottom line is, Asbestos is still a legal commodity, uh, could be used extensively in the United States if a manufacturer chose to. However, there's a little thing known as litigation. We are the most (laughs) litigious country in the world, I believe. And as such, with mesothelioma lawsuits hanging over manufacturers' heads for past use of asbestos that is now causing health concerns um they've you know they've they found workarounds they found things that that replaced the asbestos and we we should talk about that at some point is to why was it used and was it really necessary was it any good so i've got a lot of information here we go so we opened up a big can of worms (laughs) the reason that i got into environmental I guess, consulting, if you will. And it wasn't a conscious thing. It was something that happened to me when I was young. I was very close with my grandfather. He was extremely 
prevalent in my life and, and someone that I really admired and looked up to. He worked for Johns Manville for many, many years. He was brought out over, you know, he came from um, Slovakia or the region, Czech Republic. He was brought over. He worked in the coal mines. He went down into these really, you know, terrible conditions and worked as a coal miner, which you can imagine. I think it's probably one of the hardest jobs I think anybody can do. And then he ended up, Johns sure. Manville came to these parts of Pennsylvania and said, look, we'll make a great life for you. Come and work at our factories and we're going to you know, provide you with homes and places for your family and money. And so he did. And he ended up working there for his entire career and, of course, died in, in his 80s, developed mesotheliothoma, and was constantly, you know, at, at some point before that, being checked regularly for asbestosis, which obviously can turn into mesotheliothoma. Um, and so I didn't know it, but watching him go through that process sort of gave me, Bob, that um, – I guess that understanding that companies don't really look out for us and they don't necessarily are, are not thinking about the health of their workers. And it wasn't something that was directly, it was sitting in the back of my mind. And I guess I always wanted to help people and understand and kind of work against the man, if you will, and sort of make these conditions better. But I never really understood it until many years later that this was the reason why, because I saw my grandfather suffer from this horrible disease. So with that being said, I think yeah. you're so right. Like, um, like, why was this product ever manufactured? But it was manufactured in a place they thought they were making a better life for people and providing these products. And in the town itself, it was completely condemned and they had to do tons of restoration, remediation to the grounds and all of that around John's Manville factory, which was in Manville, New Jersey, um, to make it right years after. I mean, it used to look like it was snowing. My parents grew up in that area. And so you'd go out in the middle of the summer and you see this stuff that looked like snow and it was the asbestos just falling out of the sky. And it probably wouldn't surprise you to know then, Caroline, that the snow that we saw on early television and the snow <laughs> that we sprinkled onto our windowsills and flocked our trees with at Christmas time was pure raw asbestos. <laughs> my That's mom was an scary. elementary. Yeah, my mom was an elementary school teacher in the 60s. And uh, they would sit there in third grade, be making clay projects that they would send home to the parents that were made with clay and they'd fire them in the kiln and do the whole process. And they mixed in asbestos with the clay to make them so they could make ashtrays and stuff that would hold up better for the heat and stuff for ashtrays with the kids. And they were sprinkling and mixing it right in in the middle of third grade. Absolutely. And it, it made those ashtrays stronger and far more fireproof and all of the good things. And in fact, in the 60s, uh, my mother was a cigarette smoker. And at one point in time, she was smoking a cigarette called Kent. It was made by the P. Laurelard Company, as I recall. <clears throat> the filter on the Kent cigarette was known as a Micronite filter. 100% pure asbestos. <laughs> so not hey, only hold my beer. Let's make asbestos. Let's exactly. make smoking worse. <laughs> oh so you're, you know, not only are you sucking in tar and nicotine, but you're sucking in raw asbestos. Well, I watched my mother die. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And she died. Uh, I, I'm sure had we had an autopsy, there would have been just huge, huge, huge lung scarring. Would have mm -hmm. had probably mes mesothelioma, although it was never diagnosed. Um, mm -hmm. At the very least, it was COPD or emphysema or something of that nature. But toward the end, 
uh, her mouth would open and close and she couldn't draw air. It's terrible. Yep. She was like a fish on the dock. And yeah, not comfortable, not good. And what good. I think our listeners have to understand is that these things don't affect you immediately. It's not something where you're going to see an impact and you're going to know that you were exposed. And so years after an exposure, you have to worry. Like my uncle worked at the factory, so he has to worry now later in life. My father worked at the factory. He paid to make give my mom her engagement ring. That's how we worked during the summer. So all of these people were exposed, but now later in life in their 80s and you know 70s, starting usually 60s, 70s, you have to start to be monitored for these things and they can just have this impact that you never were expecting. So it's a long-term thing. It's not something that's going to happen quickly. It's, it, it's an amazing thing. Misa, from the, from the first exposure, the, let's call it the critical exposure. It's the one that ultimately uh, develops into mesothelioma. Uh, the latency period uh, is 20 to 70 years from exposure to onset of mesothelioma, 20 to 70 years. So the 20-year-old who's working in the home remodeling industry today, by age 40 may see signs. By the same token, it may not occur until he's 90 years old. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, and the people that you're talking about who were in the Johns Manville plants and who were working in shipyards and who were boiler makers, uh, lagging uh, boiler pipe, uh, things of that sort, uh, they were exposed to huge volumes of stuff. They're now, if, if they're going to die, they're now in their 90s typically. And uh, and are dying of mesothelioma, but that is only one group of people where the where the increasing death rate is occurring. The other group of people is in their forties and fifties. Well, where are they coming from? Because by the time you know they weren't lagging pipe, they weren't building ships for World War II, um, no. they weren't working at a Johns Manville plant making roofing. They were remodeling commercial and residential structures. Mm -hmm. That's the second wave. And it's, it's occurring now. Well, Bob, you know, there's so many uh, misconceptions as well as what building materials that you're finding asbestos in. That's something that you have to deal with. And, you know, I'll jump on uh, the social media groups, you know, the Facebook groups for home improvement and old houses and things like that. And it's jam packed full of misinformation. You know, you see people going, oh, nine by nine tiles are bad. Twelve by twelve tiles are good, you know, and the list goes on and on. What are you seeing? You do tests. Your company does tests every single day. Of course, the real answer is you always have to test it. But what are some of the products that are most common? Um. I, I'm going to put a, a date group on this for you. From about okay. 1940 to 1980, I will tell you that, and the word I use is ubiquitous. Asbestos was used in virtually all building materials other than wood, glass, and metal. Um, everything else, all bets are off. So okay. we find it very com <clears throat> commonly in sprayed on textures on walls and ceilings, troweled on textures. Uh, you talked about nine by nine tiles. 
I'm going to say 80 to 90% of the ones that we test in the nine by nine inch range uh, test positive for asbestos, uh, as does the mastic usually that's holding those down. We have uh, maybe 40% of the 12 by 12 tiles that we test that had asbestos in it. And if you go back to the 60s, there's a great radio commercial. Actually, it was television, early television commercial. Now with more asbestos for longer wear. <laughs> oh, no. yep. Armstrong tile. <laughs> Armstrong tile. I have an ad. I think I brought it into the studio one time yes, to you. That yeah. was the oh, uh, no. it's a ad out of like Women's Day magazine or good housekeeping back in like 1966. And now with added asbestos for durability. Absolutely. So those are areas where you find it and you find it in uh, and things you wouldn't even expect, uh, window glazing, that uh, sealant putty that holds the, the, the glass into the window mm -hmm. sash itself uh, uh, has a small amount of it uh, sometimes. We don't find any in roofing anymore other than pot potentially and once in a great, great while, the felt paper or uh, tar paper underneath the roofing, but I think we've gone through all of the Johns Manville asbestos containing roofing that um, that was out there because roofing does have a finite life and people get it torn off their house or their, uh, their commercial building and it's been disposed of by now. Um, but there's always that risk of those people that went and put three roofs on the building and even though it was against building code and uh, common sense, there still could be a 50, 60, 70 year old roof underneath there just because there's three or four layers up there because somebody got really lazy and or really cheap. That is a distinct possibility. You're absolutely right. And so when it comes time to uh, to test, even though in the state of Oregon, there is a uh, an exemption for three tab shingle roofing. If we run into one of those where you can just grab a handful of the roofing material and it just disintegrates basically into your hand, mm -hmm. we'll throw that in the sample bag as well. Just to, just to rule it out. Gotcha. And of course, one of my favorite siding materials is the asbestos siding out there. <laughs> there is not much more durable with it, but uh, when dealt with incorrectly, it can be dangerous. Yeah, and you just said the, the operative word, incorrectly, and it brings us to a couple of terms that uh, are important in the world of asbestos, friable and non-friable. Now, those 9x9 nine nine tiles we were talking about, the 12x12 12 12 vinyl tiles we were talking about, even the mastic that's holding them to the floor, it's a petroleum-based product. That siding you're talking about, water pipe, um, Gladstone, Oregon, nice. the entire mm -hmm. city Way to go, is <laughs> piped down with some water. asbestos piping. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means that in the cement was put an asbestos binder. Um, so, awesome. it, you know, it's done all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about friable and non-friable yeah. uh, because that siding really is not dangerous unless you belt sand it or um, get real aggressive with hand tools and smash it up and break it up. And it, it can be taken off. Uh, one piece at a time, as long as it's not thrown into the dumpster and, and 
forming uh, lots of little tiny pieces. The same way with the floor tiles. Those are considered uh, non-friable because the matrix, the cement and the vinyl, bind the asbestos so tightly that it's almost impossible to break it loose. On the other hand, the uh, texture on your wall, whether it's a light texture like an orange peel or a heavy uh, Venetian plaster type of a texture or a knockdown texture on a ceiling, things like that, those are very friable. It means friable, uh, if you look up the definition of it, it means you can powder it by hand. You can make non-friable materials friable um, through more aggressive action, but at least that's the way the state interprets it. However, uh, friable is a common term and it's easy to spot something that's friable because it means it's soft and pliable, or not pliable, soft and powderable. Now you're raising dust and that's what got your grandfather uh, Caroline was the dust, the the environment he was in. There were no dust controls uh, and, and no personal protective equipment. Uh, I've seen pictures of people working in in plants uh, where asbestos products were were manufactured. You can't see the people through Sorry. the dust cloud, and it's raw asbestos. There's a couple things too that you're that are you're touching on that one I, I think about my grandmother because my grandmother used to do his laundry and she died of some sort of internal lung cancer and she went first. So we never thought to have her tested, right? Like you said with your mom. It just wasn't an option at that point. He got cancer much later, so and he was part of the lawsuit and all of that. So it was he had work there. But my grandmother was breathing in all that dust off of his clothes. And I think this is true for anyone in the contracting industry when you come home and you throw the stuff that you wear into the laundry. I've always been one that says we want a separate laundry for our work clothes because, you know, you don't know what you're exposed to at this point. It's asbestos, but who knows down the line, it may be PVC. It may be any of these other things that we work with every day that become a problem. Silica dust, one of them. And then the other thing you were talking about is I see here a lot of, you know, we have a lot of illegal immigrants. We have people that are working that maybe they're not illegal to the country, but they're working, you know, without having insurance and, and licensing and contracting them. The uh, contractors or the general contractors are paying them under the table. And so I see a lot of it happens to be Hispanics, Mexicans, you know, working what I call illegally, but they're removing this stuff without masks. They're removing, throwing things into dumpsters. And I don't know that I'm trying to say it in the most like PC correct way, but the, these people are exposed to all of these things and there's no care for them at all. Like they're just throwing them into the field and having them rip down construction and they're, they're, in there without any PPE. It's, it's, um, it's kind of scary. Waiting, we're, we're waiting and hoping that OSHA catches that contractor. And I can say yep. in New Jersey, I mean, you can go to your local, we have Wawa here. I joke with Eric. Eric doesn't have, <laughs> he was like, Wawa, Seven <laughs> Eleven. but these, these workers sit outside these places waiting for contractors to come pick them up for the day. I don't know if this happens in Oregon, but this is a big thing here. They get picked up and they work for the day, they get cash and then they go home and they're never seen again, or they, go with a different contractor the next day. So no protection for them whatsoever. And it's sad. It's very sad. Yeah. The state of Oregon has made it much harder for that to happen here because they are fairly aggressive on that. I mean, we had a, and I think, Bob, I'm not going to use this person's name, but I think that they were a house flipper in Lake Oswego here where I live. Uh, five or six years ago, they did some asbestos tests 
and hired a company like that to come in and do the abatement that was not a certified abatement company. And they got hit with a $100,000 fine. Now, I think they negotiated that back down later on through the through court appeals, but it was it was a hefty fine that they wanted to make an example out of. And that's as it should be. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, that same company changed its name, started up, is probably doing the same thing. Yep. Because the yep. the money is there to cover the fines. Uh, it, it, it really, it, it is a sad situation. And Caroline, you mentioned uh, the clothes. Uh, and Eric, you were asking about where do we find asbestos? Uh, one of the areas that uh, we frequently overlook is the industrial side of things. Uh, how about the brake mechanic or the clutch <laughs> mechanic? And Eric, this is right in your wheelhouse. You are the mechanical yep. wizard. Um, you know, there was a time when all brake pads contained asbestos. And in fact, uh, one of the leading sponsors of NASCAR and other racing is uh, Ray Bestos. Well, where does the Bestos <laughs> come in, in the Ray Bestos? Hello. <laughs> I'm going to use air quotes. Organic is a word. <laughs> and inorganic. Now, yes. If you want asbestos breaks, I'm here to tell you, you can find them. They are just simply, you go into the uh, uh, AutoZone or um, uh, yep. O'Reilly or any of the others, and you ask for organic breaks, and you're going to get asbestos breaks. So they're still available, just not in the quantity that we saw them back in the day. But that old. Uh, uh, Brake tech. Uh, first thing he pulled out when he uh, when he opened up the wheel was his air gun. He wanted mm -hmm. to blow it out. Okay, did he have a mask on? No. Any kind Zero of chance face of that. respirator? Nah. Did he have protective uh, covering over his clothes? Nah. He took those same clothes home. And you're right. His wife washed his clothes. Actually, the first thing he did because the little kitties. Uh, he ran up and out, hugged daddy, them. daddy, daddy, and he hugged them and he held them mm -hmm. and he walked into the house holding them. Now they're breathing that asbestos on his clothes. Mm -hmm. And just as the just as the the business next door that had the kid that was sweeping the brake dust out the out the garage door at the end of the day that was the shop hand and it was out in the parking oh, yeah. lot and the people that were walking into the business next door that was the real estate office or the, or whatever, or the gas station that this happened at, you know, yeah, it's, it's easily spread. It's that no kind question of thing. about yeah. it. Another place that I see it too, and you run into this a lot is vermiculite and that insulation that you see in those older homes. Yeah. And vermiculite's an interesting product because it's not just used as insulation in uh, attics and walls of older homes. It's also used, and you'll find it in your local garden shop. Now, the, the beauty of it is that we recognize that a lot of vermiculite insulation that uh, came out of Libby, Montana, predominantly, was contaminated. It was asbestos was not included uh, by design. It was just a contaminant in the vermiculite. Vermiculite is just another mineral that is mined. Um, matter of fact, that's something we, let's uh, um, go back and talk a little bit about what is the origin of asbestos, asbestos in a yeah. few minutes? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, because it's, you know, they, probably 
whoever's listening may not know the origin of it, but uh, vermiculite is uh, a mineral that's mined. And uh, in Libby, Montana, the mine that they were getting it from uh, had contaminants of uh, or contaminated uh, uh, veins uh, of uh, asbestos. And, well, it didn't make any difference. It's, you know, it was just another insulating property. So they just didn't, kept it right in with the vermiculite. It, it just didn't make any difference. Well, it does make a difference <laughs> because if you stir that vermiculite up that contains asbestos, it can be very dangerous. Fact of the matter is vermiculite by itself, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to be breathing the dust coming no. off of it. Uh, <laughs> but um, we do test it for asbestos. It's one of the most difficult products to test for asbestos. The vermiculite mineral is popped like popcorn to give it its light, airy uh, attributes. Mm. Uh, it also uh, kind of looks like mica, that uh, shiny surface to it. It just, uh, But if it contains, if there are asbestos chunks in it, uh, that's when it becomes potentially really uh, dangerous to the electrician who's crawling around rewiring a uh, an attic or something of that sort or uh, you know somebody wanting to uh, put a second story on the house and bring it out by the shovel full or the bag full uh, it, it can be potentially very harmful and it's very very difficult to test for it can be it can be tested with some reliability um, but there is a special testing methodology that has been developed by the EPA for it. So if anybody's uh, running, uh, if anybody runs across something that looks like Captain Crunch breakfast cereal in their <laughs> attic, that's vermiculite. <laughs> so Bob, Good one. talk about asbestos, like where it comes from and, and w what makes it so dangerous. And I think from my understanding of it, it, it lodges into your lung and sort of creates like these little shards of glass that don't ever go away. And that's what creates that asbestosis. And it sort of sits there. And then as, as you age, it has the potential to become carcinogenic. Absolutely. Um, let's back up to what is asbestos? Well, asbestos is not a thing. Asbestos is a form of a mineral. And it's uh, uh, the name asbestos is given to six minerals uh, in particular, the most common of which is uh, commonly we refer to as uh, chrysotile asbestos. It's the serpentine mineral. Uh, so if you've ever studied rocks and minerals, serpentine was something that you learned about. Uh, it's kind of a curly, um, fibrous thing. You can break it apart and it it doesn't look like fiberglass, but it does, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, there are six of these minerals that uh, uh, four of which had commercial application, crystal or serpentine. Uh, probably 90% of the world's uh, industrial use, commercial use of asbestos was crystal asbestos. Um, there are others, no point in naming them because, you know, that makes great radio before we're off the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're broken into two part or two, uh, <laughs> descriptions. 
Crickets. Uh, yes. <laughs> so you've got uh, you, you've got the crystal form and all, and you've also got a couple of them that are referred to as amphiboles. A m p h i amphibole. Um, amphiboles uh, are the really short, sharp, uh, almost needle-like forms of the asbestos fiber. Those are the ones that are are at least in the uh, United Kingdom, are uh, claimed to be the most dangerous. I think they're all dangerous. Um, But you're right, Caroline. What happens is that you inhale. It gets into the lung. You cannot expectorate. You can't expel it. It gets stuck down in there. That's what makes it so dangerous. Because your lung has protective abilities, it begins building a mass of tissue around it. Ultimately, that can become a, uh, a, a cancerous tumor. It um, can affect the outer lining of the lungs, and that's a, uh, something we refer to as mesothelioma. That is the, uh, you know, that's the end stage. Very, very difficult to treat. There are some treatments for it, but it's pretty much a terminal diagnosis. Uh, and the least of which, and you mentioned it, is asbestosis. Um, that's, it's the minor stage. So it's kind of the first stage. And then you, and I don't mean stage in sense of cancer, but you've got the asbestosis. Then perhaps you end up with um, these little uh, pockets in your lungs and then potentially mesothelioma. However, Inhalation is not the only method of entry into the body. Uh, you don't want to ingest it either because just as it uh, affects the, the uh, lining of the lungs, it can affect the uh, stomach, the stomach mm-hmm. and all of the organs. So it, you don't want to be eating the stuff. Eric, yeah, don't, uh, Eric, yeah. don't be eating that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, stop eating that stuff, Eric. <laughs> I exactly. notice your beard is getting a little whiter, my friend. Uh, you've been That's eating from all the asbestos. That white That's asbestos, from the asbestos. Again. Uh-huh. That's what it is. <laughs> well, you know, okay, I have a question for you, Bob, because I see this. Um, I was in talking to a local uh, Portland high school here, Benson Polytechnic, to uh, their high school class over there. And you know, Mr. Mr. Dean over there. Yep who is the teacher uh, I'm walking down the halls of this school and it's a temporary school because they are remodeling the, the, the school that, that Benson is in. And so they're in a temporary school, but I have not seen so much nine by nine floor tile in a building as I've seen in this. And I'm looking up and I'm seeing the steam lines for the boiler that are wrapped around the pipes in the ceiling. And, you know, for the heating system in this school, what are the risks that we see with that stuff still installed in buildings like this? And I'm not, and I want to be very clear here. I'm not asking about the risks of this building specifically, I understand. but what are the risks that, uh, that we see in buildings in general with this stuff that's still installed and, and not technically disturbed? Well, it's a great question. Um, and it is, it is our school buildings and, in fact, that brought our attention to 
asbestos and started the first rules of asbestos. The regulation is referred to as AHERA. It's an acronym that um, addresses it in an emergency act. Um, and it is, it is a rule that requires every school building in America, um, and I think it even, I think it refers to uh, preschools as well, but definitely the interior of all school buildings have to be inspected um, first with an initial inspection, and I think it's every two to three years. We don't get involved with it here inspections. So yeah. my, my, um, I'm a little fuzzy on my history with it, but just know that there is a full inventory of every uh, either presumed asbestos-containing material, we refer to that as PACM, or asbestos-containing material, we refer to that as ACM, in every school building throughout America. Uh, the maintenance staff knows exactly where every piece of it is, and on a recurring basis, uh, an inspector such as our company it, would go through and uh, go back over that inventory and make sure that the condition of that asbestos-containing material has not degraded since the last inspection. Now, how did this all come about? Well, we, uh, at least as the story goes, the janitors at five o'clock in the morning were wiping the dust off of the surface of all of the children's desks and the teacher's desk. Uh, you know, before anybody got there, nobody knew they were doing this, but it was being mm -hmm. done every morning. Well, where was that coming from? Well, it was coming from the asbestos ceiling tiles in the, in the classrooms mm -hmm. and in the yep. hallways. And that was... That was where we began to realize, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of this stuff in these schools. And a whole section of law was written to protect school children and the people in the schools. So that's that's really kind of the genesis of of, uh, of our inspection programs. In our, in our generation, Bob, so, you know, I'm approaching the big five zero, which I'm scared to say out loud, but I'm saying it. But... We were all excited. You're just a, you're just a baby, Caroline. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Tell that to my bones. But anyway, I, uh, I think we all went to school and were around all of this asbestos that was not cared for. I mean, I remember walking through all the nine by nine tiles in the, in, right, Eric, don't you? Like, I don't, we, yeah. all the oh, yeah. open plumbing and like the janitorial staff was just like, you'd walk by and like the, the service room was open, the mechanical room was open and you see this stuff just blowing around. So it's terrible. Yeah. And, and how that's going to impact news, us, we don't know. I mean, it's. The good news with the flooring is, is there is usually, you know, a 16th inch of old floor wax over the top of it, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was the guy out there riding the buffer all evening and all morning before the kids got there, putting on the latest coat of wax on that floor to make it look good. But uh, the, the ceiling tiles, as Bob said, were a whole other discussion, you know, when you got into that. Because there was no yeah. air filtration in these schools either, because yeah. many times they were boiler systems. Mm -hmm. They just had boiler heat. So there Air filtration, no air filtration. There's no forced air, so there's nothing to take anything out of the air. 
it was a sealed box with uh, that stuff trapped. But I wonder if that was better for us, though, because the stuff wasn't blowing around as much either because we weren't using this forced air. It was just kind of settling wherever it settled. (laughs) We didn't have to deal with that. Until they cleaned it up. (laughs) Eric, you have just given the perfect description of the difference between friable and non-friable. Those nine by nine tiles, um, they can remain under your feet all day, all night, 24 hours a day, you can you can sleep on them. Um, you know, I've heard people say, you can lick the tile and you can't get any <laughs> asbestos out of it. And that's probably true. It is that the matrix, that vinyl matrix binds that asbestos so tight. Not so much with the ceiling. Those ceilings, mm-hmm. and I've only had occasion to test one of them. Uh, it was in an old commercial building here in Southeast Portland. Um, and apparently it had been um, had been installed very similar to what was in the schools. What I found was almost a chicken wire matrix uh, into which uh, a very high concentration of asbestos containing material had either been sprayed or troweled. I don't know which. I don't know how it was applied, but it was so soft did either of you ever throw a pencil up to see if you could get it to stick in the ceiling? Or oh uh, yeah, they used to do. Yeah, the guys the used to do that up. all the time. Oh too. yes, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it was, it was that soft, and that was that was the. It, so when I'm talking about ceiling tiles, I'm not talking about the the ones that drop into the metal grid. This yep, is these actually, are the twelve was, inch ones. Yeah, yep. it, it, this was something that actually got put up there in place and uh, it was just super soft. Uh, in fact, I had to ask some questions because I'd never seen one before. I haven't seen one since it was. Um, uh, but now I understand why it was so hazardous to our health. But I see Bob, I see those in old homes where maybe that old plaster ceiling was failing. And in the, in the fifties and sixties, they put those same 12 by 12 type tiles up in that in that home to cover up that ceiling absolutely and just as important when when thinking about the tile itself that fiber tile um usually those were stuck up with a glue dot and those glue dots um may or may not have asbestos in them so uh testing the tile is only a piece of it you got to get one of the whole ones down so that you can test the adhesive holding it there. That's why I say from 1940 to 1980, asbestos was ubiquitous. It was in everything. It was in your roofing materials. It was in your adhesives. It was in the caulking. It was in the um, textures. It it potentially was in that plaster that you just mentioned. However, unique to everything that I read is that I should be finding asbestos in plaster samples. In the last six and a half years since I started the company, I have tested thousands of samples of plaster. I can count on two hands because the total is six. Um, I only have five digits on one of my hands. So, um, <laughs> so I count on two You didn't two live hands. up by me by the Hanford Nuclear Reservation then, there did you? So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have, uh, we've only found six samples that had asbestos in them. If you read the books, you find that asbestos was used extensively in plaster. Caroline, I think the books were written on the East Coast. 
Mm-hmm. Great. As and I look at plaster walls where, all around me. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. That's where I'm told that you'll find asbestos in plaster out here. What do we find? Well, we're 100 years behind the East Coast, so you find horse hair. Mm-hmm. Yep. We were still riding horses when they were putting asbestos into the plaster out there. Yeah, you know something? It's interesting, Bob, because it's you're right, and it's almost like lead paint shows up in tests. It's many times the the, the finer materials, right? And, oh, absolutely. And you can find lead paint depending on the paint store in the neighborhood. Right. Because if you had a salesperson at the local neighborhood paint store that had that high-end lead paint and loved selling it to everybody, you can find pockets where there is heavy lead paint use in this neighborhood. And maybe 12 blocks away, there's a significantly less of that because that paint store was maybe a different style of neighborhood or a different class of neighborhood. And they didn't use that higher grade of materials. Well, lead paint was very expensive. Lead-based paint was very expensive. So uh, we we know going in to uh, some of the upper end neighborhoods that will likely find lead-based paint when testing for it. Um, in the um, in the Sears Roebuck kit home neighborhoods, I guess that's the best mm-hmm. way to describe it. Uh, not so much, you yep. know. So you're absolutely right, but it was it was a high end product, and people with the money paid more for it, and quite frankly, it served them well because it lasted a long time against the weather. It also hardened the paint, so you find it a lot on the interior on the millwork extensively because it was a nice hard finish and lasted forever. You know, it's funny, Bob, I can drive past my parents' old house, the first one I grew up in, up until I was eight. That was painted in the early 70s by my dad. I can drive by that house today in Kennewick, Washington, and that paint is still on the metal siding that's there. And that paint is still on that house today. Yeah, well, it was it was good paint. Uh, what's what's the downside? The downside with lead-based paint, as we all know, is that it flakes, it chips ultimately, perhaps, and um, it it gets into uh, into the ground, and it's it's harmful to um, us if we eat the vegetables because they uptake the lead. Uh, if children come by and uh, stick a piece of it in their mouth and taste it. We're talking little kitties now, or maybe it's just uh, Sissy is standing at the front window with her hands on the windowsill, the interior ledge of the window, uh, waiting for Daddy to come home. Uh, Mom says, "Hey, come get a PB and J." So she sticks a half a sandwich in Sissy's hand. Sissy hasn't washed her hands, so she's intaking or ingesting the lead dust from that lead-based paint as well. So, yeah, the, the route of entry um, and the, the methodology and, and did they do good? Yeah, it was, it was a great product. Does it have a downside? Absolutely. Unfortunately, and Caroline, you alluded to this a little while ago, what are we doing today that 50 years from now we're going to say, how could we have been so stupid? Or... Worse than that, our kids and grandkids are going to say, 
how could they have been so dumb? And we're doing it. I mean, we know, you know, silica dust is a big thing now that I've had to test for and probably something you've tested for, but silica dust is becoming, you know, the next kind of asbestos. It's so, homes are so laden with it. They do construction. They don't clean it up. It sits in the ductwork. It starts blowing out through the environment. On top of that, then we've got glyphosate, which is something that, which for those people who don't know, it's, you know, Roundup is these herbicides that we use are ending up in our ductwork. So there's never going to be a time when we're not employed, Bob. (laughs) For sure. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely Guaranteed right. Guaranteed employment. <laughs> yeah, yep. we've uh, we've confined ours to the world of asbestos. It keeps us full-time busy. But uh, somebody who does uh, broad-spectrum testing like you, uh, you do most of yours uh, through air sampling, don't you? It depends. It depends what it is. You know, it all varies. Sometimes, you know, we do water testing. We do air sampling. We do swab testing, lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, we do chemical testing. So sorbent tubes, it really depends what we're testing for. It, it varies depending on what we're looking for. So, um, boy, that sounded like a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank. Well, you know, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's interesting too, Bob, you know, when you get into this, um, I wonder, you know, is fiberglass insulation going to be something down the road? And again, I have no, I have no, yeah, we test for it now. And it's there, like, the biggest thing is when when people have open batting, like, I, when I test air, it's one of the things, there's a couple things that I automatically test for, silica dust is one of them now, fiberglass, but when you, you know, when people have basements and they're unfinished and they just leave the open batting down there, it's coming up in your air sample. And they go, well, where's the fiberglass? I'm like, you've got open batting. And they go, oh, yeah, I do. Right. It's in my basement. So it just gets airborne and you're breathing it in. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's so fascinating because the... Uh, the rules that we uh, we go by as far as the asbestos is concerned and why we're testing for it uh, is to keep it out of the transfer station, to keep it out of the uh, out of the dumps, out of the the waste stream, if you will. And there is a specific exclusion for rock wool or mineral wool, as they refer to it, and asbest- and um, fiberglass insulation. So it, we know that if it's if it looks like fiberglass and it's white, pink, or yellow, or it's black because that's mineral wool, it we don't even need to bother testing for it because there's a full exemption on that. I think you're absolutely right, Caroline. Where are we going to be 50 years from now with, as we see people <laughs> with these these class fiber uh, issues? The the substantive difference, I believe, and based on the reading I've done, is that at least the body is somewhat able to get rid of that glass fiber. Um, it, it, it doesn't have barbs on it like the uh, asbestos does. There you go. As I'm looking at my ceiling of my mineral wool insulation in my garage. <laughs> I wondered what you were. I thought maybe you had bats in your yeah. I'm feeling like I don't want to. <laughs> I'm feeling like I don't want to breathe right now. I'm like, <gasps> I'm like looking around, going, you know, "Oh man." Um, Bob, the problem we have in the Northeast, um, we don't have a lot of good asbestos contractors anymore. I remember about ten years ago having someone who had one of my clients had a massive uh, asbestos problem, and 
There was nobody to refer them to. Like it was like they just stopped doing remediation and there's very few companies doing it anymore. A lot of people have gone into mold and restoration and that kind of thing, but not asbestos. Is that a problem that we're going to see moving forward? Boy, I don't know because we do not have that issue out here. That's the first mm -hmm. I've heard of it. Um, <laughs> however, if I were to just speculate, I'd say, you know what? Asbestos carries with it currently much higher risk of litigation down the road than, say, dealing with a mold issue, mm -hmm. which in some states is an unregulated uh, remediation. Uh, abatement of asbestos is a highly yep. regulated trade. So it may very well be that people are uh, moving out of it to avoid some of the risk of litigation. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it years ago. And I don't like, honestly, I haven't looked so recently, but I remember going back about 10 years ago, you couldn't find anybody to do it. It was a nightmare. There was like one company and that was reputable and good. There were a couple companies that were like, you know, not the greatest, um, I would say on the shady side, but yeah, it was a problem. And I'm sure it still is. May very yeah, well be, but we, we have not encountered that yet, fortunately. And uh, um, I, I am delighted that we have a very deep bench of asbestos abatement contractors. Mm -hmm. um, the bench of asbestos yeah, building inspectors is getting deeper too. <laughs> <might add. laughs> I've got plenty of stuff for you to inspect, Bob. Just come on over. I'll train you right up and you'll be good to go. You'll Bob, we're talking, you know, Oregon and, of course, Carolina, New Jersey here, but across the country, you know, for the whole listening audience out there, it's a state-by-state -state thing. There yes. are some states that take this seriously and others are looking the other way. Absolutely. And, in fact, we occasionally will have uh, a call from somebody from out of state who has been hired by a, uh, a commercial real um, – retail establishment yep. to do a fit up in a, in a shopping mall, someplace, a, a tenant improvement. Yep. Um, they'll give us a call and say, Hey, I've got all of this debris sitting here and now I can't get a dumpster. Okay. Well, <laughs> any damage that was going to be done to their crew has already been done. Um, the good news yep. is in most shopping malls, they're so new that asbestos was not being used, although we do occasionally still find it. But these are folks from out of state. And I just shake my head and say, how, you know, why do they not know? What is it about their state that makes them different? And I'm going to tell you that the one that really surprised me the most, and we had, it's a recurring thing, is the state of California. These contractors are coming up from California and they say, you know, we go into these shopping malls in our own home state. We just get a dumpster and throw this stuff away. Um, I don't know whether to believe them or not, but they're certainly coming here and trying to do the same thing. And it's just, you know, state of Oregon says, mm, no, don't think so. And they've got their training has been so good since uh, that January 1, 2016 date that we were talking about that they have the landfills trained, they have the uh, transfer stations trained, they have the commercial waste haulers trained. They've got, here's one for you, they've got Home Depot trained to the yep. point where uh, the Home Depot mm. uh, 
uh, carpet installer is going to come out and he says, I can't put down carpet until you have that floor tested. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's it, 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 We live in a, um, I, I think this state is really kind of on the bleeding edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, state of Washington is right up yeah, there with are. them. We do, yep. we work both, both states. Yeah. And it's something that, you are so much stricter out there with everything. I mean, New Jersey, and think about it, asbestos came from New Jersey. I mean, it, right. Johns Manville was here. And I definitely think we should be way, way, way more strict than we are. I mean, I think you need a license to you know remove it. That's obviously the state benefits from that. But I don't really see strict guidelines here. For it's interesting you all. say that because um, we are one of the last nations in the I, I, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's not, I guess, in the industrialized world yeah, where it's even a legal commodity. It's, yeah, it's true. illegal. You, mm-hmm. Eric, mm-hmm. you'll appreciate this. Um, matter of fact, you might have been the one who turned me on to an article about uh, trying to uh, import into Australia uh, muscle cars. That well, muscle me. cars had a lot of asbestos in headliners, uh, firewalls, brakes, clutches, things like that. You perhaps on the car, exhaust. Yep. Yep. It's going to take $10,000 to have that car torn down part by part by part and any asbestos containing part replaced with uh, uh, a, a third party replacement. 10000 bucks just to get it into Australia. They are dead serious mm-hmm. about not having any importation of asbestos. And they force you to make it right-hand drives like the rest of their cars as well. So you have to convert that dash of that uh, 63 Corvette split window to uh, be driving on the other side. It ain't cheap. I'll bet not. I'll <laughs> bet not. But, you know, when you, uh, in your in the next iteration because of your love of muscle cars and the like, mm-hmm. I can see you doing that show next. <laughs> in my spare time, right, Bob? In your spare time. <laughs> It'll just be like that graveyard show that you and I used to watch in the studio from time yep. to time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Bob, we are running out of time today. This is always the fastest hour of radio, as you have always said, for the last 15 years or so. But uh, how do people track down your company if they're in Oregon, Washington, and want to have your team come out and uh, check to see what's ugly on their job site? Easiest way, go to our website, envirotest.biz. Stands for business. We we don't spell it right. Envirotest, all one word, .biz. (laughs) There we go. Bob, thanks for coming on today, brother. You are such an around the house veteran and this show would not be here today without your decade of hard work around the house what are you he is around the house you got it thank you for not making me feel like a third wheel because i certainly could have (laughs) been (laughs) caroline it was such a pleasure meeting you in person it it was great thanks guys really appreciate it well bob you know how this you know how the rest of this goes i'm eric g i'm caroline b I'm Handyman Bob. And you've been listening to... To Around Around the House.
song Let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand I know where to go All over the radio With you Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.